Well, hello everybody. This is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to this very special episode of Retrosonic Podcast, where I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by Susie Moon. Hi, Susie. Hi, Steve. I'm so happy to be linking up with you and chatting like this. Um, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, obviously, we, the good thing is, is you're up in up in Scotland, so we don't have to worry about the time difference. Um, yeah, we lucked out in that way. How how often is that going to happen? You yeah, know, because exactly. yeah, I didn't know because um, you're from uh, California, so I was a bit worried about the arranging an interview what, with the time difference. Mm-hmm. I might have to get up a bit early. In the you morning. know, I've done it. Um, I've I've done interviews where there's a good um, six to eight hour time difference. You know, but it's just um, it's a scheduling thing, and sometimes you make it work, and sometimes. I'm up too early or it's too late for somebody else. Well, there's luckily there's no time difference between down here in the south and up there in Edinburgh. So um, yeah. uh, you did have to get up a little bit early today. So I do apologize for that after your, your show last night. So you, you, you played in Edinburgh last night. So how did it go? Oh, it was great. Um, I have played Bannerman's many times. It's one of my favorite clubs and it's in the old, old town area in Edinburgh. Um, so there's, definitely some spooky kind of juju, you know, in the building. And yeah. uh, they, they let us stay in the band flat above the club, which is always cool. Nobody's had any ghost experiences, which is good. <laughs> um, but we had a great turnout and a lot of happy people. And I got to see some, some fans that have been supporting me for years throughout, you know, all the different projects that I've done. And that's one of my favorite parts of touring is getting to see people again, you know, yeah. that you've, you've seen over the years, you know, and catching up with them. And um, it means so much to me to have that continued support from people. Um, it like, it, my heart is just, oh my God, that's so cool. You know, thank you. Yeah, it must be yeah. great to, to, to meet all your fans face to face, you know. It is. I, I, I give a lot of hugs. I'm a, I'm a huggy kind of chick. Um, and just sharing that really good energy, you know, yeah. Um, when it's during the show, you know, I like to, to connect with people, look in their eyes, grab their hands, you know, I, I want to make sure people know that I'm grateful, um, for their appreciation of our music, you know, and that's, that's really why we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a music fan and there are bands that do that for me, you know, so if I can do that for other people, it's like, that's, that's how you keep rock and roll alive truly is by like sharing that that energy and that magic um, with others and not, not holding it all for yourself and being like this untouchable rock star. Um, that's not fun. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't see that as being a very um, satisfying um, way to do it. It must've been so frustrating for you to go through that pandemic. And did you find that sort of to be a bit worried about getting back to your full on live performances? Like I said, you're very huggy or very, yeah. feel you, you, was it difficult mm-hmm. to get back to that? Well, I, I certainly missed it. And then there was a moment before our first show back where I was nervous in a way I hadn't been since I was a teenager and started performing. It's like, oh my God, do, do I know what I'm doing? Like, can I, can I do this? How do I, it was like relearning how to be comfortable on stage, you know, because it's one thing. And I love recording and we spent a lot of time during the pandemic writing and recording, you know, which was a great outlet for me. But there is no comparison to a live show and a performance. So, um, yeah, I was I was so anxious and unsure if I still 
if I still had it, you know, um, <laughs> but it all comes back to you. And yeah, actually yeah. I think it's been better because maybe, um, maybe just realizing like, Hey, you don't know if you are going to have this all the time. Mm. So appreciate every chance you get to mm. be out there with people and to do the thing that you love. So if anything, I'm actually pouring even more of myself into the shows because it's like mm. this gratitude thing that I get yeah. to do this with my life. So you've been um, doing a, a tour around Europe. So you're in Edinburgh now, and then you're off to Rebellion Festival what, tomorrow. Yeah. You, you Rebellion play. tomorrow. Yeah. So we play a pre-show tomorrow, like a little kickoff party, which is cool. Um, and I love Blackpool. I just always have a really great time there. Rebellion is like a family reunion you know, um, just seeing all my friends, all the different bands, again, that awesome energy that just overtakes Blackpool, really, you know, <laughs> um, it's an exciting place to be. Yeah. And every, every time I get to play that festival, you know, I'm really happy to do that. And it's the last show of the tour, our festival day is the last show of the tour. So it's like bittersweet, you know, you start a tour and it feels like, oh, this is going to be such a long tour. And then once you start playing, it's like, oh no, this tour is going to be over before I know it, and then yeah. you get a little, you get a little sad, you know. Yeah. Well, you even you even named your tour, didn't you? Under the was it under the Blackpool sky? Or under, under the Blackpool sun, yeah. yeah, yeah so. Which is a lyric from our new single, "Dumb and in Love." Yeah, because it it tells a story that started in Blackpool, you know. Yeah. And I thought, what a great uh, time, you know, just it lined up really nicely that yeah. we were coming out here as the single was coming out, as those mm. lyrics were going out into the world. Um, yeah. And it always, it, I always end up back in Blackpool. Just, <laughs> I don't know. I just always end up there. So, well, you know, Rebellion does a really good job of bringing in new bands, um, bringing in women in bands, um, but also um, they know that because I, the age group of people, I, I mean, it's just, it's vast. It's all ages of people that come to rebellion and the folks who run rebellion, I think they do a really impressive job of keeping it interesting, old and new and, you know, all of that. And, um, you know, so you might discover your new favorite band and then two hours later, see the band that got you into punk rock in the first place, you know, and that's really special. When I'm looking at some of your choices, you know, when you were the first song we're going to pick, when you, you know, you said, oh, I heard this at <laughs> school, I'm going, like, oh, God, you know, and that, I feel so old now. But it's, it's great that... Even I feel old <laughs> when I see that band and that song. Like, yeah. I know, I'm 33 now, you know, yeah. and I've been doing punk rock for a long time. Yeah. And I think that makes me actually more like, like 75 and punk years um kind of like dog years, <laughs> dog years. you know or something um whatever age you are this is way more because punk rock just it just hardens you you know like you get a little crusty yeah. um so but again really i think it just comes down to songs and bands being timeless you yeah. know and like that first song that i brought up you know it came out what it was like 2002 or something but it fits yeah. in the timeline forever, you know. Well, yeah. Let, let's um, let's kick off then with. Um, okay. I said I had a, I had a question with, you know, what was your first sort of exposure to punk rock? And you you, you touched on it. You had a little hint there where you said like uh, your new favorite band because I think in the st- in over in here in the UK, most of us got to hear about the Hives, um, mm-hmm. 
great Swedish band through a compilation which was put out by Alan McGee of Creation Records and he called it your new favourite band. Um, oh, yeah. Compilation of their first couple of albums, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time we really had a, a exposure to the Hives, you know, and then their, their amazing live show. And um, and you chose... Incredible. Uh, talking again about timeless music, I mean, this could be a classic of any genre from where they're going mm-hmm. back to like 60s garage to punk. Oh, to, yeah. You know, I mean, it's a great track. And you picked Main Offender by the Hives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's such a... You know, um, the, you hear it and you just want to, you want to bop around a yeah. little bit. Um, the hives are just, they're so fucking good. Um, they, they, they touch on something classic and I think kind of primal too. You know, you're always moving forward with, yeah. uh, with this band. Like it's, a, I mean, they've been around for a long time too, but it still feels so fresh when yeah. you hear the music, you know, like you said, you can drop it into any era yeah. and it works. Um, and I remember hearing the song for the first time um, during like the physical ed um, period <laughs> at school. And there was another kid in my class who came up to me and my friend running. He's like, he would go, this is my main offender. And he's like <laughs> screaming in our face, you know? And I was like, what is he singing? And he's like, you don't know the hives. The hives are awesome. You should know them, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so I went home and I was like, mom, I want to go to the music shop and I want to get a CD for this band. And so she took me down to the music store and um, the rest is history. I mean, I've had a love affair with that band ever since. And in 2019, we didn't, it wasn't like a regular concert, but we played a festival where they were also playing. And that was a huge accomplishment for me just to be affiliated on the same bill as one of my favorite bands and they just i mean every time you see them the show just gets better and better yeah yeah great well let's hear it let's hear the hives and the classic main offender Woo.
yeah, yeah. It's just such a fantastic track. That was the Hives and Main Offender. And that's actually was on their second album, um, Benny Vidi Vicious, or also on their great uh, compilation, um, Your New Favourite Band, which was out on, I think, Bop Tones released that, the creation, Alan McGee's label. Um, I would love to get my hands on that compilation. Yeah. And the Hives did that. Their marketing so smart. You know, they were just really like saying your new favorite band or when you see them live and Pele's just got this confidence, like, well, you know that we're the best band in the whole world. You know, it's like, it's cheeky, but it's not, there's nothing annoying about it. You know, it's so fun. It's just in such great fun and confidence and they're not wrong. (laughs) So, you know, it'd be one thing if the band sucked. But they actually, they can get away with that. Yeah, they, they, you're right, they can, you know. And they, and they were, well, they were like a pretty much a real hardcore punk band at the beginning, you know. And then they sort of um, just came back out with this great image and look. And they'd obviously had to think about how they were going to present themselves. And, um, yeah. you know, it works. And what an amazing live band, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I remember seeing them in London. They were the first sort of, when we had the, we called it a Swedish invasion we had over here. In okay. There was a Randy was Hive. probably a part of that too. Randy, Randy the band. Love Randy. Randy. Yeah, yeah, Randy was great. Yeah, they toured with the Hives at that time. Of course they did. Oh, that's a tour I would have loved to see. It. Yeah, well, you had like the soundtrack of our lives, who were one of my big favorite bands, and, and we do lots of work with them on the podcast and over the years. Uh, in fact, I've named my blog after one of my favorite track of soundtrack of our lives, Retro Man. It's not because I'm an old nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like the blog name though. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because it, it, that's, that's I just got so taken up by by the Swedish invasion that we had, and um, yeah. the hives were, were right up there, you know, and, and they've gone on to bigger and better better things, you know. But uh, yeah, great band, you know, perfect, you know, like I just said, perfectly crafted songs, mm-hmm. great image. They've got that the image, yeah. Image is a big part of it as well. Um, yeah. You just when a band has they check all the boxes, you know, and they come out swinging ready to fight, you know, and it's this very clear yeah. vision. I, I think people appreciate that. And um, there, there's definitely folks who are going to go on stage wearing, you know, shabby kind of grungy sort of looks. And that's one mm. thing. But I think everybody reacts to a band that's got an image and a mm. polished look because it just – it, that's just an extension of the music, you know, and it's yeah. like, wow, they're taking this seriously. So yeah. I should take them seriously. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, you know. Mm-hmm. From then on, so you discovered the hive. So then, did you go on a voice? I mean, like, I, like a lot of music fans, a good thing about yeah. this new band is that you you pick out things and, and their references. So for me, it was like the Clash, and they were playing reggae, and they were mm-hmm. talking about this, or the Pistols were Sex Pistols were playing like Iggy. Pop and the Stooges yeah. covers yeah. or Small Faces. So then you sort of go back and you, you go on a wonderful... Yeah, it took me a bit longer to start diving in that way um, because, again, I was 12, 13 years old in the early 2000s and pop punk was huge at that time. Mm. And it was all around me. You know, I, I grew up going to Warp Tour every summer uh, Good Charlotte was one of my favorite bands, you know, that's like a, one of those gateway drug bands, you know, um, Simple Plan, Sum 41, mess, like really pop punk stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I loved it because the songs are so catchy, you know, and I'm, I'm a songwriter. Um, so I don't really 
care if people are like, oh, that's not really punk rock. And it's like, well, it's not about whether it's punk rock or not. It's that these songs are incredibly catchy. Mm. And there's that template, that formula, like it resonates with me. You know, I'm interested in that. And so I was listening to that stuff as well as like the pop music that was on the radio. But I have, I have an older sister. I was really lucky to have an older sister who was into punk rock. So while I was listening to what all the kids my age were listening to, you know, which is like the pop punk that was on the radio and stuff. At the same time, I have an older sister who's got a band mm-hmm. and she's got the cramps. She's got the Donna's, you know, she's got us bombs. She's got all of these great bands and she's trying to show me, you know, like the next step, you know, yeah. and her boyfriend would like make me a mixtape CD with you know kind of the more classic punk stuff and so i was just listening to things and figuring out well what what connects to me you know and so elvis costello was one of those artists that i that i listened to for the first time when i was about 16 years old you know and i didn't know i didn't know what era he was from or you know any story i didn't i wasn't really reading any books on punk rock at that point or anything you know just kind of going around doing my thing. I'm in high school, you know? Um, but I, I loved the music of Elvis Costello right away the first time that I heard it. Yeah, yeah. so you're going for an interesting track. You know, this is um, No Action, which mm-hmm. is the opening song on this year's model, which is a yep. track. So should we hear that? And I, I have a reason for No Action being oh, my right. song choice. And that's because one of those pop punk bands that I loved, that I heard before I heard Elvis Costello is a band called Sugar Colt who are from Santa Barbara, California. And they, they released like three great albums on pretty major labels. And they were a band that I saw every chance that I got. Um, And the lead singer from Sugar Colt was obsessed with Elvis Costello and Sugar Colt did a cover of No Action. And that I didn't know it was an Elvis Costello song at first. Hmm. And then later my sister was like, Oh dude, that's, that's an Elvis Costello song, you know? Here's the original version. And I was like, oh my God, I love it. And this is all so cool how like a band that's in a more pop punk kind of style is influenced by this. And it's like, wow, it's okay to do your thing and still find influences from lots of different genres. You know, it was like this music is just this one big goopy blob of like energy and music and you just pull from it you know it's like gelatinous and we're all inside of it you know um and no action it's just such a it's a banging song exactly that's uh, that's a good point so uh well let's hear it it's a great track this is elvis costello and the attractions with no action i love this song (laughs) i don't want to kiss you i don't want to touch Everything you need, it's a shame that he didn't bring them. 
Everybody that gets into punk is going to come around to um, at some point is Iggy Pop and the Stooges, and um, oh. all roads lead to Iggy Pop, really, don't they? No matter where you come from, <laughs> um, everyone from any generation, my generation, before yeah. your generation, I mean, it all leads back to the Stooges, really, I think, doesn't it? You know, and um, that magical, it's so cool, yeah, yeah. So, um, definitely earned his title of Godfather of Punk. Well, it just goes to show you that um, people respect that. Um, tenacity and the longevity of an artist you know somebody like Iggy Pop I'm sure when he was 17 years old wasn't getting much respect from anybody Mm -hmm. you know but he stuck he stuck with his vision and stayed true to himself Mm -hmm. all of these years and that is such an inspiration to all sorts of people and really you can't deny how great the music is you know Mm -hmm. there's something about that, that music that just it hits you in your in your soul yeah. and Iggy had this very authentic true way of just speaking about himself and the world around him in a way that it's it's easy to relate to and there's something very just primal about the beats to it and so i mean be your dog obviously is a is a classic and when i was 16 um, I was on a label called Disaster Records with my first band and they were a subsidiary of Bomp which um had so many great artists, uh, you know, and we got to go to the the warehouse when we signed the record contract. And Patrick, who owned Bomp, uh, took us for a little tour of the warehouse. And he goes, you can go ahead and pick out, you know, a couple CDs that you want to take home from our catalog. And, you know, I'm 16 years old and I'm in this record warehouse just like, whoa, this is so cool. You know, I'm going to discover some new great music today. And I saw the, the picture of Iggy. It was, it was like a compilation or some live recording, you know, Year of the Iguana, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that picture of him on the front. Yeah. And immediately I was like, I got to know who this is, you know, because I had never heard any of Iggy's music before that. But I take this CD home and I was just like, oh, this is this is my kind of my kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's it's a good choice again. This is another classic track. Uh, this is... Iggy and the Stooges from the debut album, I Want to Be Your Dog.
Yeah, fantastic. You know, you, it's like the Ramones where his lyrics are so cut down to the bone, but it's, it's mm-hmm. like genius to me. You know, I mean, it's, it's so raw yeah. and powerful. I think there is something genius, like you said, about keeping it simple. You know, not everybody does this, but um, some people like to overcompensate or they feel like they have to show off, you know, mm. how knowledgeable they are in this, that, or whatever, you know, and even with the chords, you know, like, let me make this complicated music to show you that I'm really good at music, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like, well, you know, the average person, we don't need an, an encyclopedia to go along with the music. That's not how you reach millions of people, you know? It's mm-hmm. like that, and Tom Petty was really good at this too, just like a, a straight message, you know? like you said, cutting it down to the bone and just getting the point across with the least amount that you could do with like trimming the fat off of it, basically, you know? So I often reference Iggy and Tom Petty and Joey Ramone when I'm writing lyrics, because it's like, you have to keep it simple, you know, don't, don't overcomplicate something that's really just um, a simple message, you know? And I think that's why people like that stuff is because it's just, it's easy to process and easy to remember. And it's not making anybody feel stupid if they don't understand it. You know, it's like them saying, look, I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I feel pissed off today, (laughs) you know? And it's like, thank you. I felt that same exact thing. And those are the perfect words, you know? Um, Yeah, you're right. So there, there is something genius about that. And then you pick Johnny Thunders, or the Heart, or the Heartbreakers. Um, yeah. yeah, they only really released this one album, didn't they? The Heartbreakers. It was not a, a band that had a lot of potential to go along. With, <laughs> you know, yeah, physically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I love this track, though. I love how it builds throughout the song. You know, and it's just got that classic swagger thing, yeah. um, and that's kind of like how the lyrics for be your dog are so simple, you know, in the same way when the music is just simple and um, you can just kind of move with it and, Mm. you know, go along with it. um, I think that there's something really special about that. And uh, this song perfectly embodies, you know, the New York kind of energy. It's very sleazy. It's very sexy. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, this is a favorite of mine for sure. Yeah. And you've gone for Pirate Love. Um, yeah. This is the Heartbreakers. Uh, Pirate Love from <laughs> LAMF. Uh, let's hear it.
Yeah, it is a classic track and a, and a fantastic album, you know, that they've been trying to... I mean, how many re-releases have they had trying to get nail that sound and the, and the different mixes and all that, you know? Yeah. Right, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said about Iggy Pop, if, if you get into punk, you, there are certain things which you just naturally gravitate towards and obviously like the Stooges and then going back to like the 60s garage rock and then but obviously you know everything again leads off on a little branch to CBGB's and that fantastic mm-hmm. year, you know of um, Talking Heads, Ramones I mean the, yeah. the were a little bit before that and the Heartbreakers mm-hmm. everything yeah. leads back to, to to that sort of wonderful scene around CBGB's so um, I think that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a great pick you know yeah and you know if you if you read the books and you you do your homework you know, all of those bands were struggling really, mm. really hard mm. financially. They were living in shitty flats. Mm. You know, they had, they were scraping together money for beans mm. and they were all drug addicts. You know, it wasn't like a beautiful time for people other mm. than like Blondie, who they, you know, they were lucky to have someone as gorgeous and marketable as Debbie Harry to kind of help propel them forward you know, into another league early. Yeah, um, but, they, but they were still living in a scuzzy, a scuzzy loft apartment, weren't they? they you know, and... Uh, for they, so long. But, you, but you're yeah. right. Yeah, those bands weren't, you know, like I think a lot of bands today and, you know, they kind of measure their success on the right now, you know? I don't have a big home. Oh, I don't have a nice car. Oh, that means I haven't made it, you know? And it's like, well, look at the Ramones. They were touring in a small van, until yeah. the very end, they were not ever really financially well off. No. You know, they didn't make it to like a rock superstardom, but like that's the spirit of punk rock. Yeah. You know, it's like you can't do it for the now. You have to do it for forever, you yeah. know, and realize that like the music itself is going to outlive you no yeah. matter what. I mean, I'm definitely in a similar situation and have been since I started playing punk rock. Yeah. You know, it's never been... Um, this like big money maker, you know, but my, my, my job, my duty is to the legacy of punk rock and to contributing to it, you know, because it's, it's holy and it's beautiful and it's, you know, it's magical. And I like, I have to do my part. That's what I feel like my, my job that was given to me, you know, when I was born is to, <laughs> is to add to the thread, you know, but I already feel like I've been more successful than, I could have ever dreamed of just that people know my music. Yeah. So, I mean, you were talking about, you know, this sort of mission that you had to play punk rock. And I said that, you know, and you got your first break thanks to your sister. Is, is that right? It's true. Yeah. She, she brought me into the mosh pit. My sister started an all girl punk band when she was in high school. And um, I mean, I just have this memory of her. She was so cool. Um, she would wear these vintage, formal gowns to school and layer on rhinestone necklaces. She had a 1964 pink um, T-bird with suicide doors that she would drive to school and just big goth hair, big goth makeup, like very cool look, you know? And I was still listening to a lot of pop punk and I was on the cheerleading team in my middle school. And she's like, no, you, you got to come to some shows with me. So she would drag me out to backyard parties and DIY shows and literally push me into the mosh pit. Drag you and to the dark side. Yeah. And when I would try to get out of the pit, she'd push me back in. 
(laughs) She's like, you're going to love this. Um, And I I did. I I, I loved it right away. And, you know, um, anybody who's got an older sibling, you know, that you look up to them when you're younger and your older sibling is so cool and they're doing all the, all the fun stuff. So um, yeah, she really took me under her wing, um, got me my first guitar, taught me how to play it and invited me to join her band that was already established and playing a lot around Los Angeles. Civet was the band and I was the kid, you know, like she was very brave to invite a 15 year old kid into a band of 20 year olds, you know? Um, but she must've seen some potential in me. Um, I know she also, she was like, I want a teammate in the band, somebody that can really trust and rely on, to help make this go. Cause she had a lot of different lineup changes over the years, you know, and um, I think just having somebody by her side to help do it. And I'm, I'm definitely more of the extrovert in our family. She's more of the introverted kind of mysterious, yeah. doesn't really like all the attention, you know? Um, yeah. So I was great for networking. Mm. I would just go up to anybody and say, here, listen to my band here, listen to my band, sending emails to the people who ran Warp Tour or Hellcat Records, you know, okay. hey, listen to my band. Um, I was early on looking on the internet, trying to find people's email addresses and just sending them loads of emails. Hey, no shame at all. You know, yeah. you should check us out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And actually a lot of really great things came from that. It's a tough job. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she gave you your first chance at songwriting as well which was great yeah yeah I had already been um writing songs before even I learned how to play guitar I I was always writing out songs because of all these bands that I loved you know the pop punk bands that I loved I had an imaginary band in high school um and you know I just daddy's little defects (laughs) which is actually a sugar cult song daddy's little defect uh (laughs) So, you know, I was the lead singer and front person in this fantasy I had. And I had already just been writing out little songs, you know, so it was definitely in me very early on. And then when I got the guitar in my hand, it's like, oh, here's the tool I have to bring these these things to life. And my sister liked my songs. She's like, these are actually, these are good. So let's let's put one on the record, you know, and take me away is one that I wrote about, you know, my, my first big crush when I was 16. And I, I was really close with the drummer in Civet um, at the time. Cat Scandal was her name. And she and I were closer in age. So we were kind of like this little like duo, you know, the like younger ones in the band. So I wrote it so she would have fun playing drums on it, like the dun, 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 you know? So I'm not formally trained in music by any means, but there were elements to like the song craft. Like I was trying to nail some things, like an interesting drum thing and good melodies and stuff like that. So this is a song I'm really proud of. Yeah, that's great. Let's hear it. This is your first song. And this is uh, Take Me Away by Civet.
After Sivet, you formed a, a sort of trio, um, mm-hmm. and you're singing playing guitar called Turbulent Hearts. So, yeah. um, what what sort of prompted that move to form Turbulent Hearts? Yeah, well, um, I think all things in life are um, driven by love. <laughs> at the very, you know, uh, like how music, all, all punk rock goes back to Iggy. All um, all songs go back to love in some sense. I had taken a break from Civet because, you know, between the time I was 15 to 22, we were on the road constantly. Um, I didn't graduate high school like any of my my friends. I took a test and I got out early. You know, I didn't do like normal high school types of things. And I felt really ungrounded after like the last Civet tour in 2011, where I just felt kind of lost and confused about my place in the world. Um, like, okay, well, rock and roll is, is great, but like there, what else is there to me? Like, what kind of person am I, you know, um, real life is not touring and backstage all the time. You know, I, I really needed to take some time off and just get an apartment, stop music. I I went to college for a little while. I just didn't even do anything musical for about two and a half years. Mm. And I, I blossomed, like I grew so much. You know, I really just needed to be a normal person and um, see if I had any other skills to offer the world, you know. And so uh, in college, I took filmmaking courses and um, I realized that I love editing and I actually wanted to start making music videos. And uh, there was, you know, some guy I had a crush on who had a really cool band and I was like, well, you know, you think you're all cool and stuff, but mm. I was in a band once and my band toured Japan and actually, wait a minute, I know how to do this. Like, I, I just kind of wanted to prove to people that I, I had this like experience and this history, you know, yeah. and like songs started coming to me again and yeah. I picked up my guitar after a long time and um, it was my first uh, time being a front person, mm. uh, carrying all of the songs, being the leader of the group, you know, so really I consider Turtle and Hearts to be like the Susie Moon project with little training wheels, you know, <laughs> it was me just yeah. kind of figuring out what yeah. this was like for me and how did I want to present myself to the world and really experimenting with my songs, you know, because mm. in Civet I only brought a handful of them to the group, yeah. you know, but all of a sudden, all these different songs were coming to me. And I was like, well, can I, can I do this? Can I pull this off? So mm. I, fa- I found some really awesome guys around LA who became my best friends mm. and helped me grow as a songwriter, as a front person. And yeah. we, we played so many shows. I mean, we did not turn down a show yeah. for about five years. You know, we played every chance we got. So that was a really good experience for me. Yeah. Um, and I just, I came into my own, you know, yeah. and, we tried everything, you know, with Turbulent Hearts, there's like a kind of bluesy, kind of dark, crampsy style song. There's a ballad, you know, then you've got the more upbeat songs, like the one that I'm, I'm sharing with you called The Runaround, you know. So I really just got to throw spaghetti at the wall and try anything that I wanted to try, yeah. you know, um, which which helped me kind of form a better idea of what kind of, what kind of songwriter I am and what kind of front person I am. Mm. Oh, interesting. So well, let, let's hear a track here, another great track that, that you picked um, by Turbulent Hearts. This is The Runaround. Mm-hmm. 
then you did LA Machina, which I think it was just a, a one. Was it a one-off? I mean, you have one album. Was it? Is it? A, yeah. A short-term project, or did, is it? Is it sort of an ongoing thing? I mean, um, no. LA Machina is dead and will never return. Mm. It was a one-year kind of COVID experiment, wow. we could say. Mm. Uh, kept us all busy during that time, and there are there are less pretty ways I could describe how things went, but uh, I'll just leave it to the the universe had other plans for me and for everybody involved in that project, but I'm really grateful that I had an opportunity to uh, cleanse my palate post-Turbulent Hearts mm-hmm. before going into the Suzy Moon solo. You know, um, it was really nice to step away from being the front person like I was in Turbulent Hearts and join a project where every member, because there were only three of us, you know, kind of was a front person in their own way, but we acted very much as a group, yeah. you know? And I played bass for LA Machina, which oh. I never, never played bass in a band before. Um, I wasn't singing the lead vocals on any of the tracks that got recorded. Um, so it was really nice to just not be the front and center person for a while, you know, and just join this group. Um, that was a really big growth moment for me as well, you know, because uh, Michelle Balderrama and Ricky Sticks, they're, they're both great songwriters and incredible musicians, you know. So I'm coming into a project and going, okay, now I'm learning from you guys, you know, and we're, we're doing something different together. I'm learning Michelle's songs, something I haven't done for a long time because I had been writing my own tunes for Turbulent Hearts, you know, and just learning to work with different people and not being the person running the show, you know, I was a part of it, you know, so it was was really an interesting moment. And uh, for me, I mean, I was like the creative director of the band. So Mm. the cover of the album, you know, that was my concept. And Mm. I brought in the photographer and directed the photo shoots and the art layout and all that stuff. And, music videos and stuff like that. Um, and that's just something I love to do anyway. You know, so it's, it's hard to put me in any project and me not take over the creative director role um, <laughs> because I've got a very strong vision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but everybody had their skills that they brought to LA Machina. And it was a really, really fun time for me to, um, yeah, do something different. Great. Well, let's hear a track by them. You picked... Um Go. So this is mm-hmm. LA Machina from the one yeah. and only album. And uh, here it is. This is Go. Go.
And I noticed that we, we were talking that um, that was actually on alternative tentacles records, which for a lot of people like me is a legendary, iconic label, you know, um, going back to, I said, when I was a kid, the first exposure I had to like a lot of that American hardcore was on the alternative tentacles compilation, Let Them Eat Jelly Oh, Beans. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm a contemporary. <laughs> did a great of job of exposing new bands to people. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and it was all very... Um, I mean, all of us, we all had to get that, you know, because I think Dead Kennedys were the first real band to break it over, over here. And of course, they had this great label. But So we, that's yeah. where we heard Bad Brains, can all, all these, you know, DOA from Canada, classic. And then we'd see these bass or Black Flag in 81, mm-hmm. DOA in 83. And we were like lapping up these amazing um, sort of American sort of hardcore punk bands, you know. And, yeah, um, yeah. And so LA Machine, that was on Alternative Tentacles. So... It was. What an honor to be yeah. affiliated with that label. And, you know, I know that Jello is a controversial person, um, but you can't say that he didn't do ever, anything for punk rock because mm-hmm. his his label and putting all those bands out and the compilations and exposing new bands to people, that is a great service to the greater good of punk rock, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, while people might not always agree with him, um, mm-hmm. that I think is a very selfless act yeah. to continue to release music and ex- expose people to, to bands that they haven't heard before. Yeah, definitely. Well, I asked you to pick your favorite alternative tentacles band or song, and you've gone for something even more extreme. I didn't even know about this one. This was on the, this was on their, I think probably their second combination, which was even more obscure than the, mm-hmm. the meat jelly beans. Cause I mean, the, the jelly beans, you had bands that you would recognize, but this, this combination was not so quiet on the Western front. I think yeah. it was in 82 which is really obscure. It's like a nugget. It was like a, a real nugget. <laughs> so of- I have an, I have an interesting story about this. Mm. Um, and it, it, for me, it confirms um, that punk rock and I were always going to be together. Um, so I've chosen Nazi bitch and the Jews, the song dead porker. And so it was very full circle for me to end up on alternative tentacles at some point, because my mom grew up, in the San Francisco area. Um, That's where she's from. And when she was 16 years old and she was being a bad teenager, she got sent to juvenile hall, you know, and met a girl in there named Annel Zingarelli. And Annel and my mom became best friends, attached at the hip, you know, just terrifying duo, just bad girls on the run, you know? (laughs) And so Annel... um, you know, she cut all her hair off. She started hanging out with a punk rock scene and she started a band called Nazi Bitch and the Jews. Okay. So this is my mom's best friend in the whole wide world. (laughs) And the only recording that's released is this song, Dead Porker Mm. on Alternative Tentacles. Jello himself was a huge fan of this band. And, and she, she actually kind of looked like me. She had, um, me at some points, but um, short kind of rock and roll hair. She'd wear big chokers. She was just this ferocious front woman, you know, playing East Bay with her band. She was very young. She was about 19 or 20 years old when all of this was happening. And um, so the song was released on Alternative Tentacles. Mm -hmm. They had plans to do a full-length album. And then she sadly died of a heroin overdose when she was about uh, 21 years old you know, and that, that, you know, it really hurt my mom that she lost her best friend at such a young age, you know, and all these years later for me to release, uh, with AT, you know, knowing that 
my mom and her friend were part of that scene, yeah. you know, in the early eighties, which is really special for me, you know? So, um, yeah, Nazi bitch in the Jews. That was Anil's band. Yeah. And my mom is an old school rocker. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, just that, that's a special one for me. Yeah. Well, it's a great story behind your choice, uh, and it's a, it's a great track. So let's hear it. That's uh, Nazi Bitch and the Jews and Dead Porker. Tell us about this transition now from, you know, you've, you've done all the experience, you've had all the experience of playing in other bands, you different projects, and now you're confident enough to go out and play on your own as Susie Moon. Tell yeah. us about how you got to that that situation. Um, you know, it was, it was just very organic. Um, I met my boyfriend, Drew Champion, when Turbulent Hearts played punk rock bowling in 2019. And his band, The Split Seconds, um, who were based out of Washington, D.C., they played the same stage the same day as Turbulent Hearts. We started talking about music and it was like, oh my God, this guy and I have like all the same favorite bands and I really like the way he played guitar. So, you know, we became friends first, but then it quickly turned into a romance. And um, his thing was he didn't, he didn't like being a lead singer. He just wants to play guitar because he's a great guitar player. And I was like, well, shit, I'm sick of just being the front woman, but also carrying all the guitar stuff, like in Turbulent Hearts at the three piece, you know, all the guitar lays on me, you know? And I had this vision for a more, um, a more textured, more layered sort of project, you know? Um, you know, I started kind of like diving into, you know, this is not Turbulent Hearts, but 
this is Susie Moon stuff and I'm going to start crafting these songs. And he's like, well, I'll, pl- I'll play guitar for you. No problem. You know, and we ended up moving back to DC. And again, the universe always just knows it's like so many steps ahead of me. Right. So when I get out to DC, which was pretty terrifying to leave Los Angeles because it's the only place I'd ever lived in my whole life, you know, and a lot of people go to LA to make it in their career, you know, and leaving was pretty scary for me because I thought, you know, oh, everyone's going to forget about me and I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to not exist anymore. My career will be over, you know, but actually I reconnected with a friend of mine from the first Civet tour ever that I did when I was 16. His name's Patty Bow, and he used to be in a band called River City Rebels. He lives in New Jersey now. And he was like, hey, do you need someone to play in your band? I heard that you and Drew Drew are starting a new project, you know? And I was like, dude, it would be an honor for you to be in my band, you know? So now we got three people, you know? And I'm like, okay, this might actually be coming something, you know? And then Drew was like, well, my drummer for split seconds, Sean, he wants to play again. So like, let's see if he wants to play drums. And it was like, all of a sudden I had like a band again, you know? And they were like, really, 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 really good. Um, All of them just fucking masters of their own class, you know? And the first time we ever jammed together, it just felt so right. And so the Susie Moon Band, as much of it, it is, you know, solo, Susie, like at its core, we're a band, you know, we operate as a band and I... I'm so thankful to those guys, um, yeah. you know, but just Susie Moon is just so catchy and easy to remember. And <laughs> I'm, I'm a very marketable person. <laughs> so it made more sense to just put me out front like that. And for years I had people saying, you should just go solo. You know, it was a really scary uh, step for me to take. Um, but I had this collection of songs like Special Place in Hell and I'm Not a Man and Nothing to Me you know, and I had actually started recording those while I was still in Los Angeles. Um, they were going to be L.A. Machina songs, actually. Those were yeah, okay. going to be my contribution to L.A. Machina. But yeah. because that band fell apart and Pirates Press Records was like, well, we like those songs. And would you like to put out an EP with us? And I was like, oh, shit, this is happening. OK, um, it just kind of the, the train started moving. There was no time to jump off, no matter how terrified I was, you know. Um, so it was a lot of me just, just going, just going for it. Fantastic. Well, I mean, you've uh, released, well, we'll get on to your latest record, but uh, some great, uh, sort of 12 inch, especially the, 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 the graphics are fantastic. You know, the image, the, 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 they look amazing as 12 inch vinyl records, yeah. you know, and they're, they're, you've done the two EPs, colored vinyl, brilliantly packaged. They look amazing and, and they obviously sound great as well. So let's pick the first single you, you've gone for your uh, this is a, a great track. This is um, Special Place in Hell. Which is actually a love song, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, but you were talking about the images on the yeah. on the EPs, you know, and that that's one of my favorite things to do is to um, come up with these concepts for the the album art. You know, I I think it's so important to do that because it's these visuals that they're an extension of the music. And for me, I want my fans to have the full package. You know, if if they're if they're buying my record and they're adding it to their collection, you know, I want to give them something that's visually exciting, you know, and stands out, you know, so there's, there's even more surprises inside, you know, with all the photos and all that stuff. And, you know, a beautifully packaged record. I mean, I, I have an incredible record label, Pirates Press Records, and they, yeah. they're actually the vinyl pressing company, you know? So I, I have this freedom to pick all the beautiful color variations and they let me do whatever I want with the images, you know? So um, yeah, depending on where I am in life at any given time, you know, during the Call of the Shots era, I was really feeling like um, the love child of Stiv Bader's and Betty Page, you know, I was like, let's make like this dirty bondage thing, you know, because that's something that the cramps pulled off so well. It's like sexy without being like trashy about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with owning sexiness in punk rock. And in the last few years, I think people have kind of shied away from being sexy because they're afraid they're going to insult somebody or trigger somebody, you know. Yeah. I'm proud of my body. I'm, I'm, I love making myself look good and feel good. And that, that is just something that like, I really believe in, you know, it's just being true to myself. And so if I'm going to be on the cover of an album, I'm going to make damn sure that I look fucking hot, you know, <laughs> so that, that shit's going to outlive me, you know? And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what we were able to, to create for that stuff because it, yeah. it captures where I, I, I was at the moment, yeah. you know, and I think they tie into the songs very well. And it gives the fans a little something extra. Yeah, well, they are, they're, they're visually fantastic, you know, and um, there is UK distribution. And obviously I'll do a link on, in the corresponding feature at retromanblog.com with links where you can buy all these fantastic records that do look as good as they sound. And um, awesome. it's great news for UK-based and European-based people. There is distribution over here. Yeah. And then your second EP, again, visually is fantastic. Definitely great. inspired by Michael Jackson on that one. I was like, hmm, <laughs> let's go Thriller. Yeah. Like thriller but make it punk rock yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Picked a, and a, this is a fantastic track as well um which we played in a previous episode mm-hmm. of the retro sonic podcast this is uh, gold record autograph
It's a classic track. Love it. Great, great song. And I mean, you've got the sound right. You know, the production is, is amazing. You know, it's a brilliant record. Thanks and, very much. Yeah. It's funny. I can, I can, some songs I can't remember really the writing process as well because some time has gone by or some songs just come to you in a weird way where like it all happens so quickly that you, you're kind of like, where the fuck did that song come from? <laughs> you know, like, but gold record autograph, I'll never forget. I was just laying in bed to go to sleep. And this phrase kept coming to me, gotta have it automatic, you know? And I was like, automatic what? You know, <laughs> like, what is it? And I was like, well, I guess it doesn't have to actually mean anything because songs are ideas that are bigger sometimes than just the words, you know? Yeah, yeah. I gotta have it automatic gold record autograph. Like, I don't really know what that fucking means, you know, but it rhymed really well. And it gave me like a path to follow for the rest, you know, and a lot of my songs tend to be more on the autobiographical side, Mm -hmm. you know, but I've been trying to just push myself a little farther out of that um, and see if I can tap into more of the storytelling, which is not not my strong point. Like that's not something I really feel confident in, but I wanted to tell somebody else's story about trying to make it, you know? And um, I I have so many friends who have been through the major label thing where their record got shelved and they weren't able to do anything for four years. You know, it basically derailed the entire band, you know, as musicians, we have this dream of our music being heard and going far, you know? So it's like, well, that's kind of something that a lot of people can relate to. So it gave me a foundation 
to yeah. do that song and um, really just leaning into the classic thing. I was inspired by Elvis Costello. Mm. Uh, sonically, I was like, how do I kind of make this, you know, tap into that power pop thing, uh, 70s, you know, um, but still keep it like hard and fresh too. So we, we were talking um, about starting off as a, as a solo artist and, and did you get a lot of support from your contemporaries? Did you find anyone that really sort of... Um, Helps you up, helps you along the way? Yeah, actually, I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of support that I got. Um, I guess I shouldn't have been because I have friends, you know, and I've been doing this for a long time and I try to be supportive of other bands, you know. Um, I've been friends with Ray from Teenage Bottle Rocket for a long time. And when uh, the Susie Moon solo thing got launched, he hit me up and was like, we got to do some shows together. You know, I'm loving what you're doing, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, anytime, just let me know, you know? Um, so we did an eight day tour with Teenage Bottle Rocket, the Pacific Northwest region of the U S in March, 2022. Um, and that was really our first, like, I would say that it was almost like the mob, like making you, you know, like um, Teenage Bottle Rocket taking us out sort of legitimized us. In a sense, um, we had done a five-day run with the queers previously. And then other than that, just a lot of like smaller kind of like self-booked mini tours around the East Coast just to get comfortable playing as a band and, you know, really get into our groove. But mm -hmm. the Teenage Bottle Rocket tour definitely took us up a, a notch mm -hmm. because we were playing to much bigger rooms and selling a ton of merch there were so many people at the shows taking video and sharing things, you know, um, they really, really helped us. And mm -hmm. after that, we started getting more offers for more and more legitimate tours and legitimate shows, you know, cause it's yeah. almost like you have to have somebody go, no, this band's for real. They're really doing it. And we believe in them, you know, and then it kind of trickles out across the industry. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting. I mean, it's a band I didn't know, to be quite honest with you. And um, so I've been checking mm. them out, and it's great. And you've picked an excellent song. I, I love the lyrics to this one. Yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite Teenage Bottle Rocket song. It's so fun. Mm. And they're a great band. You know, they're family guys. They've all got children and wives, you know. Mm. Um, their music appeals to to a lot, uh, like a lot younger crowd too. Mm. So at these shows we were playing with them, most of them were all ages shows, mm. packed with teenagers and young kids and their parents, you know, yeah. and I love playing shows like that um, where it's a little bit of everything, you know, and I think it's really important to perform to young people as often as possible because they're the ones that really need to be exposed yeah. to great rock and roll, you know, and I just, I admire the teenage bottle rocket guys for, yeah. you know, they're just good people and um, they just, they write great tunes yeah. and we love them. So I think anybody who hasn't heard teenage bottle rocket before there, it's impossible to not enjoy this song. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great song. As I said, fantastic lyrics. I, lo I love this. It's uh, great. It, it's, it's, it's brilliant. And I'm definitely going to sort of investigate them the more and uh, let's, let's play Teenage Bottle Rocket and Bigger Than Kiss. Yeah. <laughs>
Great track. That was Teenage Bottle Rocket and Bigger Than Kiss. So, you know, talking again about the support that you're getting from bands mm-hmm. and when you're touring and um, I asked you sort of uh, any, any sort of interesting bands that you've, friends you've made along the way um, on your tours over in the UK and Europe and um, or worldwide generally, you know. Yeah. And you picked a couple of like, anti-queens and healthy junkies. I think anti-queen mm-hmm. Canadian band, healthy junkies. They are. You know, they're from London. And then tell us about... Um, you picked one band in particular you'd like to to talk about. Minotaure. Yeah. And their their song The Hour. So Minotaure, there there would be no Susie Moon band without Minotaure because the lead singer of the band, Tommy Keeling, is one of my best friends in the world and is based in Nottingham. Okay. And I met Tommy for the first time. Uh, in 2017, when Turbulent Hearts came over to the UK to do our first little tour over here. And it turns out that Tommy was a fan of Savette years and years and years ago. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. You know, we just hit it off right away. Like, you know, when you meet somebody and you're like, where have you been all my life? You are my best friend. Um, just something magical happens, you know. Um, and Tommy just believes in me in such a way that like a true friendship Oh man, there were times with Turbulent Hearts when I was ready to throw it all away. And Tommy is one person who pushed me constantly. And I needed that, you know, in the period of Turbulent Hearts towards towards the end around 2017 to 2019 was really hard for me because my original members had left to go do different things in life. I was playing with new fill-in people that while I appreciate that they showed up to help me get the shows across. I felt very alone in the band, Mm. you know, because they weren't my buddies. Like they weren't, we weren't super tight. We didn't have this emotional connection of writing the songs together, you know? So when 2018 came around and I had an opportunity to come back to the UK with Turbulent Hearts and I had no band, I called Tommy crying, Tommy, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm so fucking sad. You know, I got nobody on my team, but you really. And Tommy's like, I'm going to find you a drummer over here so you don't have to pay for a flight. I'm going to play bass for Turbulent Hearts. We're going to do the tour. So Tommy came in and helped me sort everything out for this tour and played bass. And we had so much fun. Like the first time I had fun playing music again for like a good two years like Tommy injected all this really fucking positive energy mm. into the project and picked me up, you know, and said, no, you're doing this. And I, I don't think I could have seen a future for myself in music if it wasn't for my friendship, you know, that friendship mm. giving me confidence when I had none, you know? And so Tommy is a part of the family and is definitely a member of Turbulent Hearts at this point. If that band were ever to come back and do anything, Tommy would be in the band, you know? And Tommy has his own band that's amazing. Um, And they recently signed to Grunge Pop Records, which Mm. is a label that's run by friends of mine, uh, Pin and Isis from a band, Barbara Dolls. You know, so it's really awesome for me to see Tommy's band getting exposure and getting ahead, you know, because I can't think of anybody that deserves it more, you know, because Tommy's very involved in the Nottingham punk rock scene, mm. always helping bands out with sorting gear. You need merch shipped to my house. What do you need? You need a place to stay. I will help you out doing graphics. Like mm. this is a person that is so important to punk rock with the amount of love and joy and giving as well. Tommy is a transgendered male. Uh, female to male and used to be in an all-girl punk band called the Tommies. Mm. 
and they were big fans of Civette, mm-hmm. you know? So just to see my friend go on this journey and really blossom as hi- himself, I have nothing but love. And I, I think that there are, uh, are people out there that are going to enjoy this track. Yeah, well, let's hear it. Let's hear Mina Tori and The Hour. Yeah, fantastic story, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have um, Tommy the Great Artist and drew a little uh, figurine of himself, like a little drawing of himself. And it says, Susie, you're the best. 
Okay. And I found it in my notebook after tour in 2019, like hit it in my notebook, you know, it was like a little, just a little surprise. So I cut it out and I've taped it onto my, my pink Stratocaster. It's the only sticker on my Stratocaster. It's the only thing on my Stratocaster. Cause I know if I'm feeling particularly rough or like, I don't have it in me, I look at that little fucking sticker and at least Tommy believes in me, you yeah. know, so I fucking do it for Tommy, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds like a fantastic friend to have. So wonderful. So pick a, let's, um, let's say some of our audience aren't familiar yeah. with Susie Moon. We've listened to some music along the way. What, is there a sort of song that sort of, is it like a crowd favorite where everybody goes wild for that demands the encore? Is, is there a particular song that goes down a storm at gigs? Well, I think people just love, I'm not a man. That was the second sing- second single that came out um, with Call the Shots. It's just um, just a rock and roll kind of fun, grooving track where I, I see everybody in the crowd start to, to move a little differently, <laughs> you know? And it's great fun for me to look out at the crowd and see loads of men singing along to this song. Like, the, the, <laughs> just always makes me smile, you know? Um, because it's sort of... Um, a song where I'm sort of taking the piss out of like feminist anthems, you know, um, people take that stuff very seriously. Mm. And I had gone to see Bikini Kill and was, I was totally just not impressed. And I don't know, I went home and I was like, it's not, it can't be that hard to write a feminist anthem. Right. And make it really rocking, you know, and throw a little homage to Iggy with the single keyboard Mm. thing on it. Because I had, I had this uh, melody in my head. At first, it was a joke. I was like, well, let me just see, you know, if I actually do take this song seriously and put a little bit more effort into it. It's actually kind of catchy, you mm-hmm. know? And I just always have a, a fun time playing it because, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a fun tune. Yeah, it certainly is, and a great video as well. So I recommend people yeah. checking it out on YouTube. We'll probably sort of post it up with the feature on retromanblog.com as well. Um, let's hear it. This is a great track. Um, I think this is probably the first thing I heard of your solo stuff, actually. This is um, I'm Not a Man, Susie Moon. Ah! 
All right, well, I asked you, this is a difficult one, I know, but I just asked a bit of fun, pick your favourite band. <laughs> and you, and I love so many bands. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but it's one of those, it's one of those yeah. classic things when you get, as a music fan on Facebook or whatever, you get like, pick your 10 favourite albums and it changes all the time. But just, I put you on uh-huh. the spot. And you yeah. picked um, Against Me. Yeah. Who, um, coincidentally, uh, I did a great podcast with Inge Johansson. Oh, Inge! Who is... Great chat. And again, please check out Retro. He's just podcast. the best. I know. Yeah, yeah. We had a great chat. Um, again, yeah. similar like this about his music and his, his, his lovely guy. And again, that goes back to going all the way back to the hives and that because I saw uh-huh. National Noise Conspiracy supporting the hives. Yeah. On their yeah. first UK, one of their first UK tours. Wow. I love that band so much. So it's great to, to talk Fantastic. to Inge, who's got a great band called Guard to Plan, who are worth mm-hmm. checking out. So check I love out the podcast, everybody. Yeah. He's a and great guy. He, and he played bass in Against Me. So uh, you've picked a, a track. I, I, I sort of nailed you down and you've gone for Against Me in 12.03. Yeah, I picked this song because it's the one that I, I turn on when I get to the airport. Um, usually when I, um, I'm going to fly, I like to put on a little music to kind of just get myself in the zone. And the way that this song just kicks off and the, the, the interesting phrasing that Lord Jane Grace has, I'm... Really, just it's so unique. Um, she has a way with lyrics and crafting a song. I just love to sing along with this one. And Inge did play bass on the record that this um, track is from, Shapeshift with Me. Yeah. So, just it's a banger, you know. It's, it was one of the singles, but it's a song that every time I hear it, it I'm always going back to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great, great track. And uh, this one is for Inge. And this is for Inge <laughs> against me. And- 
Yeah, so um, the main reason we're here is obviously you're on tour around Europe. Um, probably a little bit late to plug a lot of your shows because most of it's finished <laughs> now. But uh, That's the right. most, most important thing is why, we, why we've got you here is your new full-length album is coming mm-hmm. out um, later in the year on Pirates Press Records. And Finally. Dumb and in love. And we're really looking forward to this. Again, great cover art. Looks Thank amazing. Um, distribution in Europe and UK. So no excuses not to get your order in. Get your coloured vinyl options as well. Yeah, beautiful hot pink vinyl. Mm, fantastic. So yeah. this is going to be great. So um, let's close. Uh, tell us a little bit on about the album, and then we'll close on the, the new single. So um, which is a great track. Uh, Thank you. So you, yeah, you looking forward to getting this out there. Um, yeah, uh, this record is such a big deal to me. Um, you know, the EPs were really just dipping my toe in to the whole solo thing. You know, but I I've had these songs basically ready to go for over two years, you know, but I wanted to get it right um, between recording in Los Angeles, finishing some recording on the East coast and even re-recording some vocals in Bremerton, Washington with my Carrera from MXPX. You know, it's been, it's been a journey with this record and um, every band wants to get a full length out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really proud of it. It's a collection that, really every song complements each other and it tells a little story you know um it starts off with dumb and in love where i'm at a very low point and feeling broken you know and mad about love to um kind of making peace with that midway through and getting getting over the the hump you know and um being ready to love again basically and the the end of the the record um, there's a song called Believe in Love. So you go from being very mad at love to very optimistic again, because every time you fall in love, mm. even if it doesn't pan out or it's not a long-term thing, every time you do it, it takes you to the next step. You know, and I, I'm saying this is why I believe in love is because it knocks me down, but I get back up, you know, and all of those relationships are meaningful, you know? So this record, uh, it talks about love, family, heartbreak, um, my love affair with California, you know, um, there's a lot of variation in the, in the styles, but it's very cohesive as well. And it's just a hundred percent authentically me, you yeah. know, so I'm really proud for people to hear a little bit more, you know, there's a bit more meat to it than the EPs mm-hmm. where you're only just getting a taste, yeah. you know, the, this is a complete collection and I cannot wait for people to to listen well i'm looking forward to it and um well i've got to say it's been really great fun talking to you Susie. yes i could talk all day um i know steve you will to miss out lots of um song choices but we'd um you know maybe we'll come back and do another one you know when the album's out you know yeah um, or for the next album or whatever yeah, yeah and i hope you get to play um down south in london and and midland we're working on it Hopefully yeah. We'll, um, keep us informed, and obviously we'll absolutely well we'll plug the uh, tour dates, and we look forward to seeing you down here. And uh, have a great time at Rebellion. I'm sure you will. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Always have a good time at Rebellion. Yeah. And um, thank you for your time for sitting down and chatting with me. Oh, it's You're good lovely. Fun. <laughs> yeah, great, great to sort of meet you finally. And uh, yeah, you too. Great. Well, let's play out with uh, the title track of Susie Moon's uh, forthcoming album. This is Dumb and in Love. Mm-hmm.